Good morning to the remnant. This morning we'll be in Genesis chapter 49 looking at the blessing of Jacob or the blessing of Israel. Here Jacob has come to the end of his life. He's going to live 147 years before he passes on. But before he passes away, the thing that is on his mind is to leave a blessing for his children. Jacob wants to make sure that the promises that were passed on to Abraham and to Isaac are now passed on to his children. It won't be passed on to just one child this time, but twelve. And so in his last days, he concerns himself with the blessing of God. And all of his sons will inherit this blessing. And in fact, we're going to see that even though all of Israel is going to be blessed, that the specific promise that we've been tracing throughout the book of Genesis once again shows up. And I want to argue this morning or teach you this morning that the entire point of Genesis is to be looking for the one who will come to crush the head of the serpent. It is the theme that comes up over and over again. And all of the stories of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is about God's faithfulness to them until this one should appear. So here in chapter 49, I'm going to begin uh, reading here. Jacob's last words as he's called his sons together to bless them before he's gathered to God. And what I want you to see here, probably in your Bible, is that your, your words here are, are sort of indented or, or right justified. You'll see that it doesn't look the same as the rest of your scripture. And that's because this blessing is a poem. It is figurative. And so it is not figurative in the sense that it's not real but that this language is meant to evoke for us uh, visions and, and deep thoughts about what is going on, the difference between poetry and prose. So I'll begin reading in chapter 49, verse 1. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather around and I will tell you what will happen in the days to come. Anytime, by the way, uh, you see in the Old Testament someone say, and this will come to pass in the latter days, you're... Your passage may have, or this is what will happen in the days to come. You can almost be certain that they're about to talk about the Messiah. Come together and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father Israel. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my strength, and the firstfruits of my virility. Excelling in prominence, excelling in power, turbulent as water, you will not excel. Because you got into your father's bed and you defiled it. He got into my bed. Simon and Levi are brothers. Their knives are vicious weapons. May I never enter their council and may I never join their assembly. For in their anger they kill men. And on a whim they hamstring oxen. Their anger is cursed for it is strong. And their fury for it is cruel. I will disperse them throughout Jacob and scatter them throughout Israel. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the necks of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. Judah is a young lion, my son. You return from the kill. He crouches. He lies down like a lion or a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah or the staff from between his feet until he whose right it is comes. And the obedience of the people, peoples belongs to him. He ties his donkey to a vine and his colt to the choice vine. He washes his clothes in wine and his robe in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth are whiter than milk. Zebulun will live by the seashore and will, harbor for, will be a harbor for ships. 
and his territory will be next to Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey lying down between the saddlebags. He saw that his resting place was good and that the land was pleasant. So he leaned his shoulder to bear a load and he became a forced laborer. Dan will judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan will be a snake by the road, a viper beside the path that bites the horse's heels so this rider falls backwards. I wait for your salvation, Lord. Gad will be attacked by raiders, but he will attack their heels. Asher's food will be rich and he will produce royal delicacies. Naphtali is a doe set free that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine beside a spring. Its branches climb over the wall. The archers attacked him, shot at him, and were hostile toward him. Yet his bow remained steady and his strong arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, by the name of the shepherd, the rock of Israel. By the God of your father who helped you, and by the Almighty who blesses you with blessings of the heavens above, blessings of the deep that lies below, and blessings of the breasts and the womb. The blessings of your father excel the blessings of my ancestors, and the bounty of the ancient hills. May they rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the prince of his brothers. Benjamin is a wolf. He tears his prey. In the morning he devours the prey, and in the evening he divides the plunder. These are the tribes of Israel, twelve in all. And this is what their father said to them. He blessed them, and he blessed each one with a suitable blessing. Then he commanded them, I am about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hethite. The cave is in the field of Machpelah near Mamre in the land of Canaan. This is the field Abraham purchased from Ephron the Hittite as a burial property. Abraham and his wife Sarah are buried there. Isaac and his wife Rebekah are buried there, and I buried Leah there. The field and the cave in it were purchased from the Hethites. When Jacob had finished giving charges to his sons, he drew his feet into the bed, took his last breath, and was gathered to his people. It's a very important passage here for us with regard to the Messiah. If we want to understand the Old Testament, if you want to understand the Scripture, we say that it is about Jesus, and it is. It's about the Messiah. The point of Genesis all the way to the end of Malachi is the longing and the search for the one who would come to crush the head of Satan and to deliver us from our sins. And here at the end of his life, Jacob is going to bless his sons. And when he gets to Judah, he is going to give to him a special blessing, a promise that has been passed from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and now to Judah. But before we get to that, one of the things that I want to talk about is this act of blessing his children. One of the things that I want to point out, and you may have noticed in Genesis, is that fatherly blessings work. The fatherly blessings work. Remember when Isaac blessed Jacob over Esau, and Esau cried, Father, do you not have a blessing left for me? Isaac said, I have already blessed your brother, and indeed he will be blessed. The blessing worked, and it could not be revoked. Now, we are not the children of Abraham and Isaac in the exact same way as those men were. However, we are children of the new covenant, and we are heirs to the same promises as they. The promise we're looking for will be fulfilled in Christ. And so I want to just take a second for the fathers to say this. You should be blessing your children because it works. And to be a blessing to your children, to be about the blessing of 
the children be about that business, you ought to be thinking about how you can be a blessing to your children while you have the chance. Of course, this is for mothers as well. We ought to be laying our hands on our children and praying God's blessing over them every single day. We should pray for their joy. We should pray for God to prosper their way in salvation, their progress in it. Pray that God will watch over them and be close to them. Pray that their enemies will not triumph over them. They will have enemies. Now we know that our enemies are not flesh and blood. But powers and principalities of this present darkness, we send our children off into a world where there is a lion that seeks to devour them. And so if we would be like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we should make it our business to be blessing our children. And in fact, not just to our children. The Bible said to Abraham, or God said to Abraham, that through him all nations would be blessed. We are the children of Abraham by faith. And so we are to be a blessing to all nations, to all people, to everyone who's around us. You should be praying for people that they might be blessed by the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You can share this blessing with others. It is within our power to be a blessing. Not because we are anything, but because God is in us. We hold a treasure in these earthen vessels. Are you a blessing? to others, to your children, to your family? Is it something that comes to your mind? Are you so busy doing the things that you do for you that you forget our purpose is for others? You can be a conduit of the blessing of Abraham. We should think about that for Jacob and Isaac. They were given to us as examples. Jacob has become an old man and he's about to die. And what is he worried about? His children and them being blessed of God. What was faithful Job worried about? His children. He offered a sacrifice for them every day. So be a blessing when you have the chance. Pray for others. That's just to get us warmed up as we get in this passage. What we want to focus on comes in chapter 8 when he talks to Judah. It's a surprise a surprise that the blessing passes to Judah, a surprise in this sense, it seems like it would go to Joseph, right? He's the brother who didn't do anything wrong. In fact, it was Judah's big idea to sell his brother into slavery. Judah, who laid with his daughter-in-law Tamar so that his line might continue, did not know it was his daughter-in-law, thought it was a prostitute. This guy has not led an exemplary life. But in the end, he was the one who said he would be a substitute for Benjamin. And if anything should happen to him, he would bear it himself. And he offered himself as Joseph's servant before, Joseph, before he knew that Joseph was his brother. And so what concerns us most this morning is the blessing Jacob gives to Judah. If we're looking through here desperately seeking, as the prophets were, who the Messiah might be, we are going to see it here this morning. He says here that Judah is the one his brothers will praise, that his hand will be on the neck of his enemies, and that his father's sons would bow down to him, that Judah is a lion. Then he crouches down, no one will dare to rouse him. Lions are fearsome creatures even to this day. I've told this story before, but one of my seminary professors went on a lion hunt, and someone wounded a lion. And they were trying to finish it off. And they were in the tall grass. 
And all of a sudden, this lion that someone had shot was charging him. And someone shot it. I think it was the guide. I can't remember exactly, but the lion wound up sliding dead at his feet, five feet off. This thing weighed like 500 pounds. And so the guide, everybody, I mean, it scared everybody to death. They thought this was over. And the guide later said, you know what would have happened if someone would have missed? He said, lion, the first thing it would have done, it would have went for your head. And your head would have gone in its mouth and he could have popped it like an egg. Now, that's a beautiful illustration to hear on a Sunday morning, I know. So what I'm trying to say to you this morning is when it, that Jacob says that the son of Judah is going to be like a lion and who would dare to rouse him, this is the kind of person who's coming from Judah. No one will dare to rouse him. It says that the scepter will not depart from Judah's feet. Judah will be the one through whom the king comes. And it's going to come to a specific one, it says in verse 10. The one whose right it is to come. Your translation may say, until Shiloh comes, or it comes to the one to whom it belongs. It's talking about a specific person who is going to come to wield a scepter. And this son is not only going to rule over Israel, it says in verse 10, and the obedience of the nations or peoples belongs to him. We are talking about one person to whom will come the scepter and the kingship over not only Israel, but of all the earth. Now that might seem like old hat to you. It's not news. But we've learned something here today that we did not know really in the rest of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the male, the female, Adam and Eve. They fell and in their fall when God cursed the serpent. He said he would put enmity, hatred between the woman and her seed and that her seed would crush his head and that he would crush his heel. And ever since that moment in Genesis 3.15, the entire point of the Bible is this. Who is the one who will crush the head of Satan. That is the entire point. That is the only hope. That is what they're all looking for. And so as the Bible continues and it goes from Adam to Eve and you think it might go from Cain to Abel, no, it doesn't go to Cain because he rises up and kills his brother Abel. Abel's not going to have any kids. It comes through Seth. So the promise continues becomes most clear as it comes to Abraham. He comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, get up out of the place where you live. Go to a place that I will show you. Because through you will come one through whom all nations will be blessed. That's the one that was promised to Eve, was now promised to Abraham. And through this one we learn that all nations, all peoples everywhere will be blessed. After all, when Abraham was called, he was not Israel. Israel wouldn't come for two more generations. This Savior, this Messiah, is for all people. And then it goes to Isaac. And then it passes to Jacob. And along the way, we learn that the way to understand how we can be connected to this Messiah is by faith. For when God comes to Isaac, he promises to bless him, and that one will come through him, through whom all nations will be blessed. And this is what he says about Abraham. For Abraham, my servant, kept all my commands... And my statute, saying that he kept all the law of God, even though the law of God had not been given. Don't you see that the way that Abraham was considered just before God was by faith, not by works. This is how the Messiah will save the world, by faith. Because our works, our works will never 
get us to God. It is our works that have gotten us into the mess we are in. And so this blessing is passed from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and now to Judah. And this Savior will not just be someone who blesses the world like a prophet. He will be that. He will be a king. He will be a king upon whose his hand will be on their neck. It says he will rule them with an iron rod. And that he, like a lion, will not be overcome by others. The one who defeats the serpent will be a son of Judah, not Joseph. And it says here that his clothes will be washed in the blood of grapes. This is a poem. And it says here that his robes will be washed in the blood of grapes. What does that mean? Why would his robes be washed in the blood of grapes? Is he just going to dye his robes red? What was he doing there? It's a poem. It's supposed to bring us imagery. So we'll have to investigate because right here this is not exactly clear. Why is the Messiah coming? He's coming as a king. He is coming and to him belongs the obedience of all the peoples and the scepter will be in his hand. But we know as inheritors of this promise that the one who is coming is Jesus, son of Mary, of the tribe of Judah, of the line of David. We learn that in 1 Samuel. You see, because the Bible, excuse me, you learn it in 2 Samuel chapter 7. As we go through the Old Testament, this theme does not stop. The entire point of Jeremiah, the entire point of Isaiah, the entire point of every single prophet is, when is the son of Judah coming? If you read First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings, what is the entire point of chronicling the lives of those kings? Why does he say, and Solomon did this, and Solomon did that, but he did not do this, and he did not do that? It's the sum of every single king of Israel. Why? Because the prophets, as they write First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings, are going, Solomon did well, but he was not the one we were looking for. Hezekiah did well, but he was not the one we were looking for. Ahab was wretched. But God did not destroy his line utterly so we can still look and see, was it his son? Was it his son? Was it his son? No. And at the very end of 2 Chronicles, why does it mention to us that after all the kings of Judah are captured, after their power is completely destroyed, after he's begging for scraps under the table in Babylon, why does it say that the Babylonian king had mercy on him and raised him up? Because it was never about the nation of Israel. It was about the seed that would come to Israel to deliver to them not an earthly kingdom, but one that would never end, through whom all nations would be blessed. Why does he mention, hey, at the end of either 2 Kings or 2 Chronicles, and the rest of you, go up and rebuild the temple. Why does it say go rebuild the temple? What's that all about? Because Daniel said... From the decree to go rebuild the temple until the time the Messiah, the prince, comes is this many months or weeks. And here comes Jesus riding on the back of a donkey that no one had ever ridden on before, which was told to us by the prophets so that we could know that this is the one that will deliver us. That's the point of the scripture. And it is right here from the beginning. Why are his robes washed 
and the blood of grapes. In Numbers chapter 24, something interesting happens after this. The children of Israel, we know, they go into captivity and they're given this land in Goshen and at first they come as guests and then they become slaves. 400 years they labor for Pharaoh and his people. At the end of 400 years they are delivered. God brings them up out of Egypt with a mighty hand and brings them back to the land of Canaan which he had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. Moses dies. Joshua takes over. They're going into the land of Canaan and a wicked king hires a weird guy named Balaam to curse Israel. It's Balaam. Talks to God. He's from who knows where. He's not. He's just a strange character. You should read numbers. But God speaks through him as if he does the rest of the prophets. Remember, Balaam is the guy who's riding the donkey and the angel's going to kill him and his donkey saves his life. And that's how we know in heaven that all animals will be talking because God says it loosed the, the tongue of the donkey and said, hey, have I always been treating you like this? There's an angel up here. He's about to kill you. Please stop beating me. We don't know for sure that all the, angel, all the animals will talk, but I like to think that maybe their tongues are all bound. My dog talks to me sometimes. <laughs> I mean, not with words, but still. I know when it's been in the garbage can. He says here that in Numbers 29, this guy Balaam, he gets hired to go up and curse Israel. And he goes up on a high mountain and he's looking at the encampment of Israel and he opens his mouth to curse them and blessing comes out. And God speaks through him. And in Numbers chapter 24, verse 9, he says, he crouches like a lion. He, he lays down to a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? Those who bless you will be blessed. And those who curse you will be cursed. He speaks the words of Genesis 49. He is the one who says, he gets up there and he says, I see him coming. He's close, but he's kind of far off. He's like a star coming out of Jacob. He goes on the mountaintop to curse Israel, and instead of cursing Israel, he sees that Israel will be a blessing to all nations. And he comes back down the mountain and the king's mad at him. He said, how can I curse those whom God has blessed? Balaam's only hope was the child that Israel would bring. And so even there in Numbers, we see again this theme. Who are we looking for? We're looking for the lion of the tribe of Judah. When we get to the end of the Bible, that they did not have access to, but we do, we see Jesus. And when John is having the vision of the revelation, he says this, Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. Its rider was called Faithful and True. And he judges and makes war with justice. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He is the, to him belongs the obedience of all the peoples. That's why he's got so many crowns on his head. He is the king of kings and he is the lord of lords. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. And listen to what John says in Revelation. He wore a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen. The sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with the rod of iron. He's got the scepter that God had promised to the son of Judah. He will trample the winepress of the fierce anger of the wrath of God Almighty. 
And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh. Here's his name. King of kings and Lord of lords. You remember when Jacob was about to cross the Jabbok River? He wrestled with a man until daybreak. And when daytime came, Jacob said, what's your name? He said, why do you ask me my name? It's too wonderful for you to know. It's a name that no one knows. But on his thigh is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And on his head are many crowns. And in his hand is the rod of iron. And from his mouth goes a double-edged sword, which he will use to strike the earth. This is the one we're looking for. Why do you think it was that Simeon, what was he looking for? Do you remember Simeon? He's one of my favorite characters. <laughs> he's got a small part. He's a priest of the Most High God and he's about to die because he's an old man. But God came to him and said, you will not die until you've seen the Lord's Messiah. And one day he wakes up and God says, today is the day. And Simeon goes into the temple and when he is watching who will come in, he sees Mary and Joseph, poor people. Instead of a lamb, they have to offer the poor man's sacrifice, two little doves for their little baby boy. He says, what's his name? Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Simeon, master of the Old Testament, knows this is the one we've been looking for. Is the one that Isaiah was looking for, who would be the Prince of Peace, the everlasting Father, the mighty God. Is the one that Jeremiah was looking for, who would bring not a heart of stone but a heart of flesh. He would take the old covenant and make a new. Jesus Christ, the Lord. This is why Jacob is anxious in his old age to bless his sons. This is why he is anxious to, to tell them what to look for so that when their deliverance come, they might not miss it. And why does he wear a robe here? It says in Genesis 49, it looks like a robe that is dipped in the blood of grapes. But we see in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16, that the robe is not really just grapes. It is because he has trod the winepress of the fierce wrath of God Almighty, and his robes are stained with blood, not just regular grapes. See, when Jesus died on the cross, and he drank the cup which the Father gave him to drink, he drank down to the bottom the fierce wrath of Almighty God. And when he died upon the cross and he went into the temple, into the holy place, not the one made by hands that was there in Jerusalem, but the one that was not made by men's hands that was the throne room of Almighty God, he was ushered into the presence of God, not with the blood of bulls and goats, but with his own blood. The blood which he bled to take away the fierce wrath of God Almighty. So that his people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, and every single person who sees Jesus Christ lifted up by faith, every single one of them becomes sons and daughters of God. And through him, all nations are blessed. You, you are the inheritors of the blessing of Abraham. You are the sons and daughters of Jacob. You are the ones through whom God 
will bless all nations for we are the body of Christ. And he has called us to go into every tongue and tribe and nation and bless them with the thing we have been blessed with, this beautiful gospel that has been preached since Genesis 3.15. This is who you are. And what happens to us along the way is that we forget. We forget who we are. We forget whose we are. We forget where we've been. We forget where we're going. We get distracted by the things of this world. We get worried about the stuff that happens here and we forget that we are kings and we are queens. We are inheritors of all the promises of God for every single promise ever made in Scripture has its yes and amen in Jesus. Who are you? Who are you? Isn't this a question? I wrote about it this week in the newsletter. Who are you? You're a person made in the image of God. You were created for fellowship with the living God. You were made to be kings and queens on the earth. You were made to be a holy people. A light that shines in the darkness that others might see the way. You were conduits of the love and grace and mercy and judgment of God. You see, how are we conduits for the judgment of God? Because to those who believe, we are the fragrance of life. And to those who will not believe, we are the fragrance of death. We are carriers of the gospel. We are the children of Abraham. This is our legacy by faith. This is our hope by faith. Our glory is what Jesus said to the Jewish people, those who wouldn't accept him on that day, who did not believe him. He said, I've got a lot of people that's going to be sitting at Abraham's table. And they're going to come from the east, and they're going to come from the north, and the west, and the south. One day you, child, will sit at Abraham's table. You will sit with Abraham, you will sit with Isaac, you will sit with Jacob, you will sit with those 12 boys who became the blessing, through whom the blessing would come. You will sit there with them, not as someone who just snuck in, but as a fellow sojourner who lived in this world, who carried with them the blessing of Almighty God. As equals and joint heirs with them. This is who you are. Do not let the world steal from you your joy in this. You are the sons and daughters of kings. Of the king. Because it doesn't come by flesh and it doesn't come by the will of man. It comes by the will of God. And this is what he calls you. And if God has called you son and if God has called you daughter, who will revoke this? No one. For I am persuaded. I am persuaded that not angels or principalities or death or darkness or anything in this world can separate us from the love of God which is ours in Christ Jesus. This is who we are. And there's power in that. You are filled with the spirit of the living God and called to be a blessing to the nations. Live it. So this is not just some old dusty lineage. 
This is the thing upon which we put all our hopes. These are our people. These are the ones we're going to see when we die. And we will have a welcome there. The Bible says that when the good shepherd sees that one sheep is missing, he leaves the 99 and to find the one. And what did Jesus say about the angels in heaven? That they rejoice when one of these comes home. We are the children of God. We are welcome before his throne. He hears our every prayer. He takes care of our every need. And he is making more out of us than we could ever dream or think. Not because we are good, but because he is. He is not finished with us. He is not finished with this world. He is molding you, shaping you, and making you fit for heaven. Don't forget it. What else matters but this? Who do we have on earth besides him? Who do we have in heaven besides him? And so today, think about this. Here's Jacob. He's dying. He's leaning on his staff. He's blessing his children. He's moments from death, and he gives them this blessing. Don't wait till you're an old man like Jacob. Be a blessing every day. Be a conduit through which the blessing of Abraham comes into the world. And the world will change because of it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.